Okay, folks, we're in Lesson 8 this morning. We're going to continue in our discussion um, that the Apostle Paul is making in Romans concerning uh, justification by faith. So we're going to continue to look at the issue of justification. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 4 now, verses 1 to 12. Now, again, I've told you that this is an, a very important series that we're going through looking at Romans because the reality is is that most of us don't have really a, a true concept of our salvation, what it is that Jesus Christ did for us and provides for us through salvation. So we've seen already in the first three chapters uh, the issue that all of mankind is condemned, and now we're getting to the issue of what justification is and that it's by faith. Now today especially... We're going to really hit on something that's so important for you and I to grasp, so important for you and I to understand, and that is the concept that salvation is purely by the issue of faith. It's not by anything that you do. Now, most of us would say, well, yeah, hey, George, I agree with that. I agree that it's not by my works, that's not how I gain salvation. Yeah, but some of you might be here and you might be grasping a point that's incorrect and that is the thinking that I've got to do certain things in order to maintain that salvation or or you might say it this way, in order to be accepted with God. I've got to be uh, giving a certain amount of money. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to have consistent devotional times. I've got to not go to places or or do the right thing or not hang out with these kind of people. And, you know, as long as I'm doing those things, I'll be accepted with God. It's, it's the whole concept that you can't work for your salvation, but it's almost like you got to work to keep it. And what we're going to see is, is that's a subtle lie that we can embrace because really none of that, none of that has anything to do with your justification before Christ, of you being accepted by Him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're especially going to look at it through the illustration of the life of Abraham. So let's look together. We're going to look, first of all, in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4, and we're going to see, first of all, that it's not, that our justification is not by works. Paul writes, What then shall we say, that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Okay, so folks, what we're going to do is we're going to start off here. He's going to ask a question. Verse 1, he's going to ask his readers 
a question concerning the issue of Abraham. So what we're going to see is, is that Paul asks if Abraham was found justified by his works of the flesh. So he, he you know, because probably there are some Jewish Christians there who are having a hard time with what, with what Paul is saying, because they're saying, well, you know, hey, you know, we need to maintain the law. We need to do these certain things. And, and so Paul wants to address that, that our justification is not by works. So he wants them to think about the one person that they claim as a spiritual father. You know, the, the father of Israel, ultimately, was Abraham. And so they, he says, think about Abraham. Think about what you've been taught about Abraham. Was Abraham justified by the works of his flesh. And what you're going to see is, is of course, the answer is no. He wasn't justified by the works of his flesh. Let's go on. What was his justification? Paul states that if Abraham were justified by his works, that is something to boast about. If Abraham could say that he was justified by what he did, that would be something to boast about, because we know from, from Genesis what the character of Abraham was, right? What was he? He was a liar, Lied about his wife being his sister. I mean, that was kind of a half-truth. She was his half-sister. But the fact of the matter is, is he didn't tell anybody that, yes, this is my wife. And so, you know, we, we know about his character, and it's not necessarily good. And so if Abraham could be justified by his works, then, yeah, that would be something to boast about before God. You can say, hey, God, I did it. I made it. Well, the problem is, such boasting could not take place before God. Nobody can boast like that. And surely Abraham couldn't boast like that. We already talked about his character. The reality is nobody can gain acceptance with God. And nobody can be justified before God. Nobody can claim a righteousness before God. Nobody can boast about that. And again... We know that from Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For, for by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. You can't claim salvation as your own thing. Alright? So let's go on now. He talks about that the scripture records that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's, let's kind of expand upon that word believe there because it's not just a mental ascension. It's not just agreeing to, a, to facts that God is the God of the universe. Okay, I'm saved because I believe that. Or Jesus is the Son of God. I'm saved because I believe that. No. What we see with Abraham is Abraham basically had a belief that resulted in actions. What do you mean by that, George? Well, remember, he was called from Ur to go to a land. So he makes the trek from Ur up to Haran, from Haran down to Canaan. All of that was by faith. All of that was a belief in the promise of God. That, my friends, is what faith is. Faith, God says to him, I'm going to give you a son. He waits for 25 years for that son to be born. When he's a 100. That, my friends, is faith. Faith that results in, belief that results in action. In action. Acting upon what you believe. That's what he was doing there. 
So notice now he's going to tell us, verse 4, what the nature of works is. Look at what he says there. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What is he talking about there? He's talking about how you and I, when we work for somebody, some of you guys here, you work, and when you get the paycheck, do you look at it and say, oh, boy, my boss was gracious to me? No, you say you deserve it. So here's the point. Wages are not given as grace in response to one's work. Rather, they are from indebtedness. When you work for somebody, that person you work for is indebted to you for those wages. And so the concept here is, is that when you, if you and I could work for our salvation, work for our acceptance with God, work for our justification, then God would be indebted to us because we're doing the right stuff, and that's not possible. It's not by works. It's not grace at all. So then he tells us in verses 5 through 8 what the nature of faith is. The nature of faith. Here, notice what he says. First of all, believing in God who justifies the ungodly is credited as righteousness because of faith. See, it's, it's coming to a place where you believe that God can justify you and I in spite of ourselves and in spite of our mess-ups and in spite of the difficulties and the struggles and everything, that God is the one who justifies the ungodly. And when we believe that He's the one who's the only one who can do it, He's the only one who can bring about our salvation. He's the only one that can bring about our acceptance with God. Then that, my friends, listen, that is credited to us as righteousness. That that is what justifies us, is our belief that he is the one who brings it about. That's what he's saying here. It's not by works, but rather by faith. Faith in what? The one who can justify the ungodly. And let's, let's be honest, who's he talking about when he says the ungodly? When he talks about the one who doesn't deserve. He's talking about you and I. He's talking about you and I being that one who doesn't deserve salvation. He goes on, David testifies that a man is blessed because God has credited him righteousness apart from works. See, blessing is being credited righteousness even in spite of ourselves. You know, how many times do we say, oh, I wish God would bless us. Oh, I wish God would bless us. Oh, I wish God would, would, you know, I just haven't, I don't sense that he's blessing me anymore. Folks, if you're saved, that's blessing. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're trusting in him alone for your salvation, and you are justified before God, and you are accepted by him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that, my folks, is what David is saying. You are blessed because God has credited to you righteousness in spite of your works. And let's just be flat out honest. Aren't you glad it's in spite of our works? Because the reality is is that we could never, we could never do enough to gain any kind of acceptance with him. Here's the next point. The crediting of righteousness, here this is what's awesome. The crediting of righteousness includes 
the forgiveness of sins. So, okay, it, it's possible that you and I could be accepted by someone, but we still have our issues. Our issues are still recognized. Our issues are still there. Oh, yeah, I love him, but he did do this. And, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, you could say the concept of God is, is that he accept us, accepts us, but we still have our stuff. But, no, God goes one step further. He doesn't just justify us. He doesn't just count us as righteous. He removes our sin. He forgives our sin. He forgives us. Isn't that awesome? And so forgiveness in this passage, Paul's going to reflect on it this way. Forgiveness in this passage is reflected in three areas. He's going to describe forgiveness here in three ways, three ways that I think are, are pretty profound for us. Pretty profound. What are they, George? Well, first of all, our lawless deeds or actions are forgiven. So everything wrong that we've done against God, every transgression of what is right, everything that was ever done against Him, those are forgiven. Everything, everything is forgiven. It's clean. It's been forgiven. And when God forgives, it's not like human beings. When human beings forgive, you know, we struggle with forgiveness, and so forgiveness for us is a process. Forgiveness is not a process for God. God when he forgives, that's it. It's forgiven. Here's the second thing I want you to see, how, it, how it's described here, as far as forgiveness being reflected here. Our sins are covered. Our sins are covered. It's kind of like, you know, if you, how many of you have ever had somebody just show up at your house, and, and you had to do the hospitality thing, invite them in, but you've got this big mess, maybe in the kitchen, or, or in the living room, or, or something, and, and it's kind of embarrassing, and, and, and you don't want anyone to see it, because it's, you know, it's just going to reflect poorly on you, so, so you, maybe you stick all those dishes into the oven to hide them, or, or you cover something with a blanket, or, or, or you hide something in a closet because you want to cover it so that it doesn't reflect poorly on you. You know, our sin reflects poorly on us. And what he's saying here is, is that our sin is covered. It's not exposed. The shame is not open to all to see. It, it's been covered. Isn't that awesome? He goes on and says this. The Lord will not credit us with our sins. Isn't that, that's, I think, the, the most amazing thing about forgiveness is that you don't have a credit sheet that says, oh, well, he did this wrong, he did this wrong, he did this wrong. Your record is clean. It's not like, you know, you have spouses and, you know, you fight and if you've been married for a long time, well, don't you remember 20 years ago you said this? What are they doing? They're still crediting you with whatever you did long ago. Well, God doesn't do that. God doesn't credit us with our sin. I think, you know, years ago, I mean, back in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, there was a singer, CCM singer, Christian contemporary music singer named David Meese, and he sang a song called What Sin? I think Lori, Lori sings that song, and, you know, it, you know, I think the first line, I, I don't remember too many lines of it, is, you know, it happened so long ago. I cried out for mercy back then. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a song about somebody who's going to God and he's remembering his sin. And here's how God responds. What sin? What sin? He, see, he forgives. He no longer credits us with that sin. This is what's awesome about justification. This is what's awesome about his accepting us. And again, it is not, this is the whole point of what Paul's trying to make here, it's not by the works that we do. It's by faith. Faith in the God who justifies the ungodly through Jesus Christ. Faith in the God who justifies the ungodly. Now look at verses 9 to 12. Here's our last section here. He's also going to show us that really this this issue of being accepted by God, this issue of being justified by being saved, being forgiven, has nothing to do with us. It's not by our works. He's also going to point out it's not by our religious rights. It's not by your religious rights. And I think that's so important for you and I today in the Christian church because so often we can think in terms of, and we fall into this trap, that we are justified by so many different things. We're justified by the amount of Bible knowledge that we have because we've studied the Bible. We answer all the Bible questions. Or we're justified by how much we give in the offering. We're justified because we show up here every time there's a service. And when there's not a service, we volunteer. We do this. We do that. And the reality is, is that it's not our religious acts that justify us. So look, look, look at what he says here, verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith is accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness, of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of, are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Okay, George, let's, what, what are we talking about here? We obviously are talking about the issue of circumcision, which is a religious act on their part, a sign of the covenant. The Jews put a lot of stock. If you were going to be a Jew, especially if you were a male, you had to be circumcised to show that you had taken the sign of the covenant. But he's going to show that that has nothing to do with our justification. It's not by my works, and it's not by my religious rights. So let's talk about what's going on here. Paul asks if the blessing of justification is only for the Jew or the Gentiles as well. Now that's that's see that's a good question for them because remember they're primarily a Jewish Christian Hebrew Christian church and he's going to ask them is this justification by faith is this salvation 
through belief in Jesus Christ and accepting what he's done for you, is that only for the Jew or is that for the Gentile as well? So he's going to ask that question. Because you understand what separates the Jew from the Gentile is the whole issue of the religious rites. And especially the issue of keeping the law. So Paul stresses that because of faith, again, he's going to make that point here, it's not because of what someone does. Because of faith, righteousness was credited to Abraham. It's because of Abraham's faith that righteousness was credited to him. It's because of our faith that you are accepted by the Father. That's grace. So Paul points out that Abraham was credited righteousness when he was still uncircumcised. If you go back to Genesis, you'll see that he is acclaimed righteousness. He is credited righteousness. He's accepted by God long before he was circumcised. In fact, Paul points out that the circumcision was a symbol of what was happening in his life. In fact, the sign of circumcision was given to Abraham as a seal or sign of his justification. We have something that's like that today in our church. When somebody is baptized, when somebody is baptized, that is a sign of what? That's a sign of the issue of salvation in their life. It is a public profession of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So remember, in Romans, we're going to see it, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. See, the, it's not the circumcision that saves you. It's not the baptism that saves you. You need to grasp that. It's not walking an aisle, praying a prayer. It's the baptism or the, the, for the, for the Jew, circumcision was to be a symbol, for Abraham especially, a symbol of what God had done, and that's justify him because of his faith. Now he goes on. Abraham became the father of all who believed and are credited righteousness. Now, Here's what I want you to see. So basically, what Paul is saying here is this. Abraham becomes the spiritual father of all who believe, whether they're Jew or Gentile. He becomes the spiritual father of all who believe, that is, who have faith, that's belief in action, and who are credited righteousness, who are justified, who are saved. By their faith. He becomes the spiritual father to all of us, is what he's saying here. And here's the bottom line with that. This includes both Jews and Gentiles. Who this includes is not just the Jews. It is also Gentile believers who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that something for you to think about? That we don't fall into that trap of thinking it's because of what I do, it's because of my religious activity that I'm accepted by God. You're not accepted by God by any of that. You're accepted by God because of your faith. So again, basically what he's saying here is that Abraham becomes the spiritual father to all who believe, and that includes you and I. That includes both Jews and 
and Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews. That includes Gentiles as well. That's what we see here. Isn't that awesome? Now here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to continue on in our discussion. We're going to look at the the third part of our discussion of justification by faith. We're going to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. We're going to see that it's not by the law. So again, he told us it's not by our works, it's not by our religious rights, and it's not by the law. It's not by keeping the law, but rather it's by faith in God's promise. It's by faith in God's promise.